Now, from the left coast, another in-depth interview from Peter B. Collins. Peter B.'s been talking about news and politics since Watergate and generously shares his knowledge, wisdom, opinions, and outrage here because his friends and family can't take it anymore. Peter B.'s an independent progressive who upsets Democrats and Republicans as conditions require and is one of the few lefty pundits who predicted Trump would win. This podcast is funded entirely by listeners like you, and subscribers get first access to these in-depth interviews. When you're ready, go to peterbcollins.com forward slash sign up. Now, here's your humble host, Peter B. Collins. Thanks for downloading the very latest in-depth interview podcast from peterbcollins.com. Talking to Scott Ritter changed my mind. You've heard me talk about Mike Flynn as an idiot, the guy who served 24 days as Trump's national security advisor got bounced for lying about a phone call. Well, see what happens as you listen to him explain a very compelling alternate view. We also talk about the unraveling Russiagate story, and we delve into a little bit of a conversation about COVID-19 very close to the end of this podcast interview, made possible by listeners like you who support my work with your subscriptions. People like Benny Alto in Oregon, Jens Ivan Nielsen in Denmark, Danny Altman and Cliff Johnson. You can support my work too. Uh, We're continuing to distribute revenue from your subscriptions to people in need through the Peter B. Collins Podcast Community Fund. Thanks for grabbing this podcast, and thank you for listening. Scott Ritter returns to the Peter B. Collins podcast today to talk about the dropping of charges against General Mike Flynn after he pled guilty to lying to the FBI. And much, much more, including Russiagate. Scott Ritter is the former U.N. weapons inspector. Before that, he was a U.S. Marine intelligence officer, spent some time serving in Moscow. And uh, he has become a prolific writer and commentator. And uh, I'm pleased to say a frequent guest on this podcast. He and I have met only once when we did a stage talk in Mill Valley, California. And, Scott, I think that was around 2006 or so. We were talking about... It was... Ancient history. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the impeachment of George W. Bush <laughs> way back when. <laughs> so uh, Scott does have dogs, and they, they are free to roam, and if you hear them, don't worry about it. Uh, we we uh, are both dog lovers, and uh, it's not a problem. So, uh, Scott, I've got a lot I want to talk with you about today, and I want to open with a piece that you published at the American Conservative uh, just a few days ago uh, on uh, May 11th. And your headline reads, we could all be General Michael Flynn tomorrow. 
The Obama national security team's outrageous abuse of power mirrors the underbelly of our prosecutorial system at large. And I think that you have framed this issue in a way that caused me to reconsider my own views about this. So I'd like to give you a minute or two to explain uh, how this originated with uh, a, a kind of a stepchild of Crossfire Hurricane, which was the original FBI investigation into potential contacts between uh, the Trump campaign and uh, Russians. That started in uh, July of 2016. But there was a subset aimed at Michael Flynn called Crossfire Razor. And uh, that began because he attended a dinner celebrating uh, RT, Russia Today's uh, anniversary. And the infamous photo shows him sitting next to Putin. Uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, was also there. I should note that you have published at RT, and I am not offended at all by that, but I, I just think that uh, people deserve to know about that. And uh, Jill Stein said that Putin was only there for about five minutes. Nevertheless, the photo is one of those shots heard around the world, and it created a lot of suspicions because Flynn did disclose that he was paid and his expenses were covered uh, to attend that dinner. Well, I mean, let's let's just start right off with, uh, with you know the the, the full uh, disclosures. I do write for RT, and um, you know I was approached by their editors in December and asked if I'd like to uh, you know come on board as a uh, as a uh, op-ed columnist, um, and I I subjected them to you know a million and a half questions. Uh, uh, first and foremost of which is um, you know let's get into legalities of this because if I have to um, you know register as a uh, you know foreign agent to represent a foreign agent, I'm not doing this. I I, I I will not represent the Russian government. I will not be seen as representing the Russian government. It just isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And we we went through the legalities of it, and there's absolutely no requirement. Um, do that. Uh, there's there's no need to do that. I'm I'm a freelance writer. Um, and the second was editorial control. Um, I get to pick my topics. Um, you know, like with any editorial board, there's there's a back and forth. But once a topic's approved and framed, um, based upon my framing, um, I submit it, and uh, the editorial uh, work will be purely you know shortening. You know, things that editors do, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. hey, you got too many words here. we got to bring it down from 1,200 to 900. Uh, what do you want to cut out? Da, da, da. But the second they come back to me and say, oh, no, 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 you can't say this because it doesn't meet with a Russian uh, thing, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I walk uh, because that's not how it works. I also write for the American conservative uh, whose article we'll be discussing. Yes. I have the same relationship with them. It's the exact same relationship. Um, I, I submit a pitch. Uh, they either approve it or disprove it. I've had more pitches rejected by the American conservative than I had by RT uh, because it doesn't meet the, um, you know, the, the, you know, their, their universe. They, they have a universe. Uh, they have a, a, a direction. And uh, if I put something forward that uh, is not compatible with their readership, uh, they say, no, it's, this isn't the right article for us. Mm -hmm. um, that's a legitimate point of view. I wrote for uh, the Huffington Post. They did the same thing. I wrote for Truth Dig. Uh, before they shut down, the same thing. I write. I write for Harper's. I write for the London Review of Books. All of them had edit, have editorial boards that uh, that interact with writers. Um, RT does the same thing. Uh, RT has been a uh, a great outlet. I feel that you know a lot of the articles I've written have been challenging and uh, and, and have, have you know actively contributed to uh, the ongoing debate, discussion, dialogue that's uh, 
a prerequisite of uh, democratic society. So um, I'm proud to, uh, to be a part of that. And if people take umbrage at it, uh, that's that's their fault. Yeah. Um, now, getting to, uh, you know, the case of Mike Flynn, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that caught my eye, one of the reasons why I wrote this is uh, trying to decipher, you know, uh, Attorney General William Barr's um, reasoning behind the, um, you know, the dropping of the case. Um, it's complicated because Flynn pled guilty. <laughs> yep. And that's always a very difficult problem. He not just pled guilty, he defended that guilty plea in a colloquy before the judge. Yes. Where the judge asked him straight up, are you being coerced? Are there any issues here? And Flynn said, no, I'm doing this freely. Um, that's, a, that's a high bar to overcome. Um, and, you know, Barr didn't attack that directly. What he said is that there was no predicate for the counterintelligence investigation uh, that was opened up against Flynn, and that the, therefore the entire um, everything that is follows is um, you know has been invalidated, and mm-hmm. there, therefore we have to drop this because there's been tremendous prosecutorial misconduct. And, and Scott, let me let me just insert that this requires the approval of Judge Emmett Sullivan. And Correct. so it is a, a motion uh, by the Justice Department. The lead prosecutor uh, removed himself from the case moments before Barr publicly announced this move. Correct. And uh, we should also point out that uh, this is the same judge that faced a similar kind of prosecutorial misconduct in the prosecution of um, the, the Alaskan Senator uh, Ted Stevens. Right. Um, and so there's a history. We don't know what, what he's going to do. This is a judge that chastised Flynn the last time he was before the court, um, you know, basically calling him a traitor for, uh, you know, for, for some of his actions. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll see what the judge does. But the, the, the bottom line is, you know, this story continues to evolve even as we speak. More discovery is coming out, more information is coming out, none of which is good for the prosecution all of which is good for Flynn. Um, you know, so we'll see how that weighs in. But you know, what, when we get to the issue of the predicate that Barr talked about, Crossfire Hurricane was a counterintelligence scope investigation initiated by the FBI on July 31st of 2016, uh, solely targeting George Papadopoulos, the, um, the, the one-time um, foreign policy advisor to uh, Donald Trump, uh, with a limited history of interaction with Trump, who was in London in May, had interaction with Alexander Downer, uh, uh, alcoholic Australian diplomat who was drunk at the time, um, told him allegedly told him a story which uh, Downer uh, recollected uh, later when he saw evidence of the uh, or he saw the stories about the the, the alleged hacking of the DNC server. Uh, wrote up a report that made it through channels into the U.S. intelligence community uh, hands, and the FBI looked at that and said, "This is enough for us to uh, to go after." Uh, Papadopoulos um, on the grounds that, you know, he predicted or he said the Russians were were offering um, hacked emails, and now we have a hacking at the DNC. We have a reason to go for it. Okay. And, and Scott, um, let, let me just insert, because uh, one of the unexplored elements of the operation in Britain was the role of this American, Stefan Halper. And right. <laughs> uh, he was on the payroll variously of the CIA and the Pentagon. Uh, he was kind of a longtime uh, political operative, 
and uh, he had ties to Christopher Steele and uh, his uh, for-profit uh, uh, spy operation, if you will. And uh, the, the, the way that he has been closeted off uh, from the coverage and the investigations uh, remains highly suspicious to me. I just feel a need to interject that. No, I mean, he's, he's what the FBI calls a confidential human source. And uh, the FBI is loath to discuss uh, confidential human source uh, operations for a number of reasons. One uh, is the you know, ostensible security classifications associated with that. Uh, when you have a confidential human source, uh, you don't want to talk about them or else you'll never have another confidential human source. <laughs> Nobody will work with you. Mm-hmm. The other one is the, um, the abuses that are inherent in a confidential human source. And I think the Papadopoulos case and, um, is uh, replete with um, you know, abuses, um, you know, using a confidential human source to manufacture or to lead on a witness or, or something of that nature to create the impression that something occurred when, in fact, it didn't occur. Um, one of the problems with Papadopoulos, uh, with, with the whole timeline, the chronology, is that, um, you know, it became apparent to the FBI uh, early on that the documents that were being released to the public um, ostensibly sourced from the DMC um, server, were all dated in May. This, these were documents that were clearly accessed by somebody mm-hmm. in May of uh, 2016. Um, well prior to the April meeting between <laughs> Papadopoulos and um, Milsid, the professor, the Maltese professor. Uh, so there literally is no connection between what Papadopoulos was talking about and what actually occurred. And at that point in time, the investigation should have been dropped. Well, and, because and, and let me brief, was no let me briefly mention the the parallel case of Carter Page, uh, and it has discredited the FBI in the eyes of the uh, Star Chamber FISA court uh, because it became clear that as they renewed the warrant applications for Carter Page, they knew that he was not a conduit or a player of any significance, and yet they they kept renewing that. And it was Rod Rosenstein who signed, uh, I believe, the final uh, FISA court application in the Page case. So we we have a whole range of uh, questionable tactics, shall we say? Right. I mean, the bottom line is the FBI is not a uh, it's not a good player. Uh, its reputation as being the world's preeminent um, law enforcement agency is forever tarnished by its behavior here and probably by its behavior in the past that we maybe don't know about yet. But, you know, it's clear that on July 31st of 2016, when they opened Crossfire Hurricane, this investigation should have been closed within a week uh, when it became apparent that there was no connection between Papadopoulos, Milfsud, and that conversation and what actually was uh, released to the public, uh, you know, through Guccifer uh, 2.0, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, was, what was the so date? What happened what was the, they, I'm sorry, what was the date of the initiation of Crossfire Razor, Scott? Crossfire, well, Crossfire Razor, according to, um, uh, to the FBI documents, they don't give a specific date. What they say is immediately after the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, which was July 31st, so this would have been sometime in early August. Mm-hmm. The Crossfire Razor would have been um, would have been opened, and this was a counterintelligence uh, scope investigation against Michael Flynn. And the reasoning behind this is that if they're going to go after Papadopoulos and the potential of Russian connectivity with the Trump campaign, Flynn, because of his 2015 meeting with RT, 
um, is a is 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 a prime suspect uh, in in terms of you know a, a vector for Russian uh, access to the Trump campaign. Yeah. Um, and, and that was their reasoning. Now, the the problem is you can't connect that to Papadopoulos. So either you you should create your own standalone investigation, but you can't use Papadopoulos as a predicate to open up Crossfire Razor. And that's what William Barr is saying um, is, is one of his primary reasons for for um, shutting this down is that there's an improper pre- uh, counterintelligence predicate that uh, you can't get from Papadopoulos to Flynn. So, you know, you're, you're, the, the whole beginning of the foundation upon which the case for Flynn was built is fundamentally flawed. Um, and, you know, there, that, that's, that's a very technical legal reasoning. Um, it is. That, frankly speaking, from, from my perspective, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm just relaying the facts here. What I care about is the um, is the plea and what went on behind the plea. Because as Flynn is under you know under investigation, target, you have to ask yourself why. Why is Flynn being singled out? Is it really because of his 2015 RT uh, meetings, or is it because of the bad blood that exists between him and Barack Obama, who was president uh, when Flynn in 2012 was. Uh, picked to be the director of the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency? Is there bad blood between him and James Comey, the director of national intelligence, who fired Flynn on Barack Obama's behalf? Let me let me in, just uh, correct you there. You meant to say James Clapper, and you said James Comey. I'm sorry, Comey. James Clapper, correct. Okay. James uh-huh. Clapper, who was the, the director of national intelligence, who fired Flynn in uh, 2014 on Barack Obama's uh, instructions. And, um, and hadn't Clapper actually recruited Flynn for the job? Uh, Flynn, Flynn, prior to being the um, director of um, of uh, defense intelligence agency, uh, Flynn actually worked um, for Clapper in the office of the director of national intelligence. So Clapper uh, nominated Flynn for the uh, position. That's right. Correct. Uh-huh. Okay. And go prior ahead. to that, you know, Flynn had a stellar career um, in the military. Um, you know, most noted uh, for um, the innovative um, analytical approaches he brought to intelligence collection and management in Iraq that allowed. Uh, terrorist networks to be isolated and taken down. Uh, you know, the killing of Zarqawi and other high-profile um, al-Qaeda in Iraq uh, leaders were, you know, were, were because of, you know, the, the work that, uh, you know, General Flynn was doing. Uh, he also had similar successes in Afghanistan, less so because he was tarnished by the whole, uh, uh, you know, Stanley McChrystal um, traveling uh, beer-drinking roadshow in Europe uh-huh. uh, that, that badmouth the Obama administration, but the, the, the point is, this is a this is a high quality uh, intelligence officer, uh, or has the potential, who has some quirks. Um, as a direct as the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, he was responsible for uh, coming up with uh, you know, concepts of uh, improving, uh, op, you know, the the, the 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 analytical operations that were contrary to existing protocol. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, you know, he, he drew the ire of people. People came up with a concept called Flynn facts. Uh, he would just say things that couldn't be backed up by uh, factual information. Uh, and, 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 but because he was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, he expected you to, accept, you know, to embrace him at face value. Um, and then when he got out of the, the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, you know, he immediately gravitated toward um, Donald Trump. Uh, became one of his closest national security uh, consultants, uh, was designated to be national security advisor. 
stood up in the Republican National Committee, and, and this is where you draw the ire of Barack Obama and his supporters, shouted, lock her up, lock her up, in reference to Hillary Clinton. Yes, he did. Um, a lot of uh, active-duty military people and retired military general officers felt that this was uh, very untoward conduct. I personally believe this was untoward conduct. Uh, you don't do that if you're, uh, you know, if, you, if you're somebody who's purporting to be a, a retired lieutenant general. Um, you're supposed to be apolitical. You can advise people, but you don't get up on a stage and carry out a, an obviously partisan uh, attack. I need to also preface by noting that I'm not a fan of Mike Flynn. Mm-hmm. I respect what he did in Iraq. Um, I respect what he did in Afghanistan. But when you look at the larger picture of the shortcuts he took, um, you know he had a lot of good people working for him in Iraq, and he's taking credit for their work. In Afghanistan, his true colors came out. Uh, with the bad mouthing of the Obama administration was taking place behind scenes. Um, his real character came out as the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, where where he didn't have senior leaders able to uh, control him, and his mouth went wild, mm-hmm. and he got fired for it. And now we saw, you know, we see him, you know, chanting "Lock her up, lock her up." Um, this is a man who should not be the national security advisor of the United States. And and Scott, right. I would I would add one more element and feel free to comment. But we know that uh, as he uh, sidled up to Trump, became an advisor in uh, the period of time September to at least November, he and his son, through their consulting firm, took in half a million dollars from a Dutch account uh, to lobby for the state of Turkey. And uh, we have the former CIA director, uh, his last name starts with an I, uh-huh. <laughs> James uh, in- Inman? Yeah, Inman. Oh, that, that'd be, uh, in, uh, yeah, I know, Bobby Inman. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 it, it, this is a former CIA director. I don't think Inman was. Anyway, no, was, uh, in, yeah, go ahead. so they, they were both at a meeting in New York in September and uh, the former CIA director uh, apparently walked out of a meeting when Flynn suggested that they kidnap this uh, uh, imam who's in Pennsylvania, who also runs a media empire in yeah, Turkey, Fetullah Gulen. And uh, so they were, you know, talking about kidnapping him and demanding fifteen million dollars from Erdogan, the leader of Turkey, uh, for delivering him. And so. That, to me, was a really stinky episode, and Bob Mueller just wrote it off. Uh, He was more intent on proving this, uh, you know, what some people believe was entrapment of Flynn for simply lying to the FBI. And I think the Turkey episode deserved much further investigation. And I'll simply add that uh, I don't believe that Flynn's uh, operations ever fell within the defined purview of the Mueller investigation to begin with. I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree. On Turkey, it's muddled, and I, 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 you know, when at face value, everything you say is not only disturbing but um, disgusting. Uh, that's behavior. That's uh, it's criminal behavior. If 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 it in fact took place, so one of the problems is the uh, lack of um, of hard evidence. Uh, one of the reasons, that, you know, one of the untold stories behind the, the Flynn prosecution was they wanted, uh, you know, they they got. Part of his plea deal, and we'll get into plea deals in a minute, was for him to testify against the um, the uh, Turkish his Turkish co-conspirator. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting to note that that um, that 
that his Turkish co-conspirator went to trial, was found guilty by a jury, and then the next day a judge threw out the uh, conviction, uh, saying that the prosecution had made its case. So the the Turkey thing is muddled by the, the you know the the fact that we really don't know what all the data is, what it says, what Flynn did, what Flynn didn't do, um, et cetera. Um, and and let me I just that, let me just add something here, Scott, because with the help of the Google memory burst boost, uh, <laughs> it was James Woolsey. Uh, okay, who Woolsey, yeah, yeah. attended a yeah, meeting Woolsey. where Flynn allegedly discussed removing Gulen and and sending him to Turkey. Right, and Woolsey, I, I personally know Woolsey. I've briefed him on a number of occasions, um, and you know he he's a man with a checkered history. You know he uh, he worked closely with Ahmed Chalabi, uh, trying to uh, create a mm. covert operation outside of the framework of the United. So Woolsey's a, a character that. Um, might not do well um, under cross-examination on a, uh, on a window stand. Well, this even offended him then. <laughs> we'll put it that way, Scott. Okay, we'll, put, well he says it offended him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the problem, is that we have Woolsey as the, uh, the witness on that, and you know, we, I, I think we probably need some additional information before we right. jump on the uh, let's lynch Mike Flynn from the nearest uh, tree. Well, and, um, and as I framed it, my issue is it was never investigated, and that's what I want to see. I, I wasn't there, sure. and I don't claim to know. No, I, I, look, there's a lot about Mike Flynn that, 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 that could be investigated and perhaps should be investigated. But, you know, they got him on telling a lie to an FBI agent. That's the, uh, that's the thing. And the lie, and this is where it gets uh, tricky, because um, Obama, when he met with Trump in November, of 2016, mm-hmm. uh, after the election, in the White House, he told Trump, "Do not, do not pick Flynn to be your national security advisor." He said, "There's a, a whole bunch of problems with this guy. Um, don't do it." Well, Trump ran around and, and did it, and that uh, sent off alarm bells throughout the Obama administration. Now you have to ask yourself, why? Why would these alarm bells go off? Is it because of something that the counterintelligence scope uh, investigation is aware of? No, because what we found out is the counterintelligence scope investigation was on the verge of being shut down at the end of December. The uh, Crossfire Razor, people said, there's, there's nothing here. There's no reason for us to continue this. There's no legitimate ongoing counterintelligence concern against Mike Flynn. So the alarm bells appear to be political in nature, meaning that the national security team of the Obama administration was so deeply offended by this man, rightly so, <laughs> he's, he's deeply offensive, uh, that they, uh, they decided that he can't be in office. Now, he had a conversation uh, you know, in late December, I think it was December 25th, he was on vacation in the Dominican Republic, and, right. uh, and he received a phone call. Uh, that was the same day that uh, Barack Obama expelled uh, uh, 35, I believe, uh, Russian uh, um, diplomatic personnel that he called uh, intelligence agents uh, in retaliation for the, um, you know, for the uh, alleged interference in the presidential campaign. Correct. Uh, and they, they, were, they were expelled. And everybody was expecting Russia to retaliate in kind and, and basically escalate this to the point that there would be a crisis uh, between the United States and Russia when Donald Trump was inaugurated. That was, the, that was the objective behind this. There was no legitimate counterintelligence reason for the expulsion of his diplomats. 
uh, when you dig into it, the FBI doesn't have any information that links any of these people to any, um, you know, activity uh, targeting the president's election. The FBI maintains a list at all times, and I know this personally, of you know, diplomats that they'd like to expel at any given time. So if there is a crisis, they can pick five, expel them. Mm-hmm. The FBI has also said that we want to shut down certain, um, you know, uh, recreational facilities used by the, the, the Russian embassy in Maryland uh, for a potential counterintelligence, out of counterintelligence concerns. They believed it was being used as a uh, listening post. Um, it was a kind of country no, country estate. Uh, I, I saw yeah. aerial photos of it. it. Looked pretty nice. I'd I'd like to get posted it's a, there. It's a place where yeah. Well, we have a some we have similar arrangements, or we have similar arrangements in Moscow. You know, I mean, you know, people want to get out of the uh, you know out of the big city, out of the the pressure of uh, you know diplomacy, um, and and get out into the countryside and, and escape. Um, mm-hmm. We do it. They do it. Um, but the FBI, you know, especially their counterintelligence people. Uh, they just they want to make life easy for themselves. The easiest thing to do is expel Russians, shut down facilities so they don't have to track this. So when the opportunity came on how can we retaliate or you know how can we put a marker down, how can we create a crisis, um, they expelled these these, these Russians. Um, and Kislyak, who uh, Sergei Kislyak was the Russian ambassador to the United States at the time, uh, called Flynn as the national security advisor designate to talk about this. And Flynn, according to what I've read, basically cautioned him not to overreact. That in, in, in if you wait just a couple of weeks, there'll be a new sheriff in town, and we can deal with this responsibly. But don't buy in. You know, don't take the bait. Uh, we can, we can. You know, don't take the bait. Don't escalate. Keep things calm. And and when we come in, we can deal with. Which I'll tell you what. Is the most sane thing Mike Flynn ever said. If he said it, <laughs> well, it's, Scott, uh, Scott, let me let me interject that uh, as I have looked at this and the overheated uh, uh, spin and emphasis that's been placed on this phone call, I don't find it problematic. Uh, it, to Not me, it it seems like fairly natural. Now, to be fair, we still don't know the contents of the intercept of that phone call. So we do have to suspend Correct. some judgment. Uh, he, he may have uh, crossed a line. There is the Logan Act that basically says, uh, you know, if you're not part of an administration and you're conducting foreign policy, that you're liable for charges. But uh, we, we really need to emphasize that uh, there has been no transcript ever made public uh, related to the, this, you know, problematic phone call, and so I suspend judgment about it. But uh, on the face of it, I, I don't have a problem, and I don't think that it should have led to uh, the the kind of uh, uh, follow up that we know occurred. Right. Well, let's 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 look at this just for a second. We know that Michael McFall, who was the lead Russian advisor to Barack Obama. Um, traveled to Russia in October um, of 2009, I believe. Uh, that was the, the election year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a month prior, or actually weeks prior to the election, um, and, and gave a series of public talks. Now, this is a man who has been designated by Barack Obama to be his Russian, lead Russian advisor. Said, now, but Obama hadn't won the election yet, so he was still just a candidate. But Michael McFaul gave speeches in which he said, um, you know, a, an Obama administration will seek to improve relations with Russia 
and deviate from the current policies of the Bush administration. All right? Now, someone could scream violation of the Logan Act um, because it's basically undermining the current policy, uh, then current policy of the Bush administration, which was, uh, you know, which was restricting uh, certain U.S.-Russian interactions uh, in retaliation for the Russian war on Georgia that took place in August of 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that, that happened. Mike Flynn was the designated national security advisor of an elected individual. Whether you like Donald Trump or you don't like Donald Trump, he was going to be president of the United States. He was an administration in transition. He is not a private citizen. He is actually a government in waiting. So the Logan Act does not apply, would never apply. There would never be a successful prosecution of Mike Flynn, ever. Well, would never happen. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, but I'm just saying there's, there's a double standard that, uh, you know, suddenly the Obama administration screaming Logan Act. There's, there, it can't. But here's the disturbing part. Flynn had this conversation. We don't know what the conversation was, nor should we ever. Flynn is a, you know, is, is a, at that point in time, a private citizen. Um, it was intercepted under, you know, existing um, intelligence collection programs. And as a result, these programs have to protect his uh, rights uh, against illegal search and seizure. His identity must be protected. Normally, when this occurs, when, when, a, when, a, when an analyst uh, at the National Security Agency, who probably intercepted this, received this, this readout, um, his job is to go through and eliminate the name and write down, you know, American Citizen 1. Uh, if there was two American citizens, American Citizen 2. Now, the analyst will have in his, in his files who they are to cross-reference, but when this, when this transcript is released to uh, consumers uh, in, the, in the Obama administration, they won't know who this person is. Now, there is a process in which senior officials in the national security um, structure hierarchy of an administration can request what's called unmasking. Right. That is to find out who this individual is to provide context, proper context to the phone call. There's nothing illegal about this. And apparently somebody um, decided they wanted to unmask this identity and they found out it was Mike Flynn. Okay, again. No problem. This is this is the normal state of affairs. Um, actually, I'm glad they, they did that. I mean, if I if I were an analyst and I received a conversation of a Russian ambassador talking to somebody uh, talking about potential policy, uh, I'd want to know about this. I want to know. I want to know the full context of this. Uh, and so they they get the name. The problem comes now. This, just so you know, that conversation is classified at the top secret compartmented sensitive intelligence level, the, high, the, the highest possible classification. The, 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 this is to protect the methodology used. The fact that you and I are talking about this conversation uh, should be illegal, because if we're talking about an intercepted conversation, you know, we consider and say, hey, we're all grown-ups. We assume that conversations are, are intercepted. But in the intelligence business, we don't assume anything. We spend billions of dollars building capabilities that need to be protected, because once you know, a, a Russian ambassador realizes that his phone is being uh, intercepted, he's not going to use that same, uh, that same you know, technique, of, uh, the methodology of communication, to talk about uh, anything sensitive. And so we've denied ourselves access to information. So this is a highly classified conversation. And then we add to it the fact that Flynn's identity 
is an even more restricted thing. This gets into constitutional protections. And yet, somebody in the small circle of people who had access to the unmasking of Mike Flynn and his conversation called up David Ignatius at the Washington Post and told him all about it. And David Ignatius wrote an article that served as the predicate for Strzok, uh, the, the, the Peter Strzok, the FBI agent, to, to stop the, um, the, the closure of Crossfire Razor and insist on an interview with Mike Flynn. And so, again, this is one of those predicates that we have a problem of. We have a, a, a you, you can't take a violation of the law, the fruit of the poisonous tree, so to speak, and move forward with it. Now, uh, let, let me interject as a bit of a devil's advocate. Couldn't the FBI simply have identified Flynn through caller ID and bypassed the unmasking requirement? Well, you can't link him to that conversation. That conversation's top secret. The fact that anybody's talking about a conversation between Kislyak and AMSIP A in, in the Dominican Republic is a highly classified thing. Um, how do we know that conversation took place? How was it intercepted? Right. Um, now, if they're going to say, look, uh, we simply picked up his phone, hit um, redial, and there it was. Okay, that's not top secret. That's, you know, <laughs> that's just police work, um, investigation technique. But the point is, this: the fact that this conversation existed is classified at the highest levels in the American intelligence community for a reason. And for David Ignatius to publish an article discussing this conversation and its contents and identifying Michael Flynn is an egregious violation of national security protocol. Whoever leaked that has committed multiple felonies. And then to, uh, to leak Mike Flynn's uh, identification, again, is a felony-level uh, activity, and it violates Flynn's Fourth Amendment rights against the illegal search and, uh, search and seizure. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of problems with what happened uh, with Ignatius writing this and then Strzok taking action on that. But then we even know further that the interview was not needed because nobody expressed any concern about the contents of this phone conversation. You know, we, we talk about Flynn lying, but people who are familiar with it have said there's nothing in the conversation itself that is problematic. All right, Scott, let, let me, let me uh, uh, just kind of offer a slightly different track here from this point forward. Because, number one, I think we both agree that Mike Flynn uh, should have known or, you know, had to know that a call from Kislyak was going to be intercepted. So he, he had no reason uh, to be naive about that. Number two, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, went to the White House counsel in, uh, I, I guess, a couple of days after the inauguration and said, hey, uh, your guys got a problem. So there was a, 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 a big flag delivered to the White House. We now know that in the uh, deliberations in the uh, executive, is it the ninth floor or the 10th floor at the J. Edgar Hoover building, uh, that there were discussions about, okay, uh, what are we going over there for? Are we trying to uh, entrap him? Uh, are we trying to uh, get him fired? And so Andy McCabe, who was the number two at the FBI, called Mike Flynn and set up an appointment. So unlike Mueller rolling up Manafort at six o'clock in the morning with 20 RMG men and, you know, rifling through his, his, uh, his house 
that kind of a, a bust. Uh, they were very polite about this, and uh, McCabe answered Flynn's question, which was, is this about the phone call with Kislyak? So he was completely aware of, uh, you know, this this trap, if you want to call it that, that was being set for him. And yet he continued, you know, he maintained his previous pose that, that, that he didn't do it, that there wasn't a phone call. And uh, to me, that was the stupidity on his part because he had all of these warning flares uh, about what was up. And I argue that he simply should have said, oh, yeah, he called and I answered the phone. Next question. Well, we don't know what he said. Um, My understanding is that Flynn didn't deny the phone call, that it came down to whether or not he uh, discussed uh, the lifting of sanctions. Uh, Okay. Um, And yet uh, people familiar with the transcript say sanctions were never discussed. It is purely an FBI inference into Flynn cautioning Kislyak not to overreact. That things will take, you know, that this matter will be handled differently when Trump is in office. Um, you know, so and we see this again with the Papadopoulos, uh, you know, confession. Um, you know, Papadopoulos didn't lie. He he forgot about he forgot an aspect of the meeting with Milsud and later on acknowledged it. Uh, there's plenty of exculpatory information that has him saying contemporaneously to people uh, that there was no exchange. This thing never happened. Uh, you know. it, it, it they never offered this. If they had offered this, I would have reported it immediately. The downer was uh, drunk at the time. Uh, my point is, we don't know what went on. We know that there was ill intent on the part of Peter Strzok and his uh, fellow special agent when they went to uh, to Flynn. That, that their, their whole purpose was to trip him up so they could continue this investigation. We also know that the Flynn admission of a lie, which didn't take place immediately, it took place down the road, um, was was um, linked to an ongoing plea bargain uh, that was derived from a, 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 an FBI investigation into Flynn's son's activities uh, regarding Turkey, and that Flynn um, agreed to, you know, halt the prosecution of his son. Uh, and indeed, at this point in time, Flynn's out of money. I mean, that's the other federal that's another problem with plea bargaining is, you know, you throw the book at somebody, you hit them with 400 different charges, they hire lawyers, you, you drag this thing out until they have no more money, no more ability to have effective legal representation, and then you hit them with a plea bargain and make this all go away. That's what happened to Mike Flynn. Is he innocent? I don't know. Is he guilty? I don't know. Was he, was he ramrodded by the FBI using tactics that have been used against drug dealers and, uh, you know, low-level felons across the country? Absolutely. This plea bargaining process is a poison to the American justice system. It has historically has people up to 20 percent of the people who accept pleas are pleading to something they didn't commit. They're innocent, but they're pleading to make it go away. And there's every reason to believe that Mike Flynn pled guilty to make it go away, especially for his son, which um, is something that every American should be concerned about, because I'm telling you right now, there's not a single one of us on this planet that can survive a concerted FBI-based investigation. Not because you've done something wrong, but because they'll make it appear that you've done something wrong. They'll drag it out. They will exhaust your resources. You will be bankrupt. Your family will be at risk. And then you will fall on the ground and plead for mercy and accept whatever plea agreement they shove in front of your face. There's very few people 
that can stand up to that kind of pressure, and Mike Flynn wasn't one of them. He buckled. And yeah. as William Barr said, he said, yeah, I know he played guilty. He said, but a lot of people plead guilty to things they didn't do. And I'm going to bet a dime to a dollar right now that Mike Flynn did not lie about speaking about um, sanctions. Mike Flynn uh, was, was set up in a very difficult situation. Maybe he wasn't as forthcoming to Mike Pence as Pence needed, you know, as he should have been. Pence went public uh, with, uh, with, with uh, you know, a, a, a story that was derived from a conversation I had with Flynn that Sally Yates took umbrage to. Sally Yates came in and manufactured a, a threat that didn't exist, a threat of blackmail. Um, and prompted uh, Flynn's, uh, you know, being released as a national security advisor. Was I happy that he was fired? Yes, I thought he was a disaster. I thought you know, when he went up before the American public on, you know, day one or two and put Iran on notice uh, out of the blue, I thought that was grossly irresponsible, dangerous, uh, et cetera. So, you know, I wasn't unpleased that Flynn was gone. Um, but, you know, in, in retrospect, um, the fact that this this man ended up pleading guilty to a crime he probably didn't commit, um, and then to use this as a vehicle to attack uh, Donald Trump's presidency um, is, is part of an overall pattern of using Russia as a means to undermine and delegitimize a duly elected president of the United States. Uh, and, and Scott, that, uh, to what extent is this informed by your own experience? Because you were targeted in a sting operation. They stacked up charges against you. You refused to accept the plea bargain, went to trial. And I think all but one of the counts was upheld by a jury. And, uh, you know, I have similar concerns about the way plea bargaining is used uh, to create ugly choices for people. And many of them just take the plea deal. Yeah, look, they, 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 they hit me with 40 years. They, 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 they were saying they put me away for 40 years. I told them to pound sand. They said, uh, we'll make it all go away. You'll plead guilty to one, one count, and uh, there'll be no jail time. It'll be purely parole. And I said, uh, I will never plead guilty to something I didn't do. And then I went to trial, and, you know, we don't need to get into too much, but I'll just tell you this. They brought forward manufactured evidence. They, uh, they, they denied my ability. You know, I was accused of a computer-based crime. Uh, my computers were forensically examined by the Secret Service, the FBI, the NSA found no evidence of the crime having to take place. There's no evidence on the server. Judge wouldn't allow this to be introduced at trial. They allowed a detective to come in and testify with a manufactured memory. Um, they suppressed data. They inserted data that should never be allowed or was allowed out of context. And I was found guilty at trial. Uh, and, you know, I, I pled this all the way through to the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, I didn't win, you know, I didn't win the, uh, the appeal. But that doesn't change the bottom line. I never committed the crime I was accused of committing, but I refused to take the plea, and I paid the price. I went to prison for a crime I never committed, uh, you know, and I, and I carry the, the stigma of being a convicted felon for a crime I never committed. But I can look in the mirror and say, you never pled guilty. Mm -hmm. You know you're innocent, and I've maintained my innocence from day one, but I was railroaded by a justice system. It can happen to anybody. Buddy, I'm telling you right now, this is the danger of the Michael Flynn um, precedent is that it's not, it, you know, this isn't about defending Mike Flynn, the man. I don't want to defend Mike Flynn, the man. I don't like Mike Flynn, the man. I'm glad he's not national security advisor. This is about defending Mike Flynn, the American. Yeah. 
an American citizen who is afforded certain rights under the Constitution of the United States and should be afforded due process and instead had the FBI and the Justice Department for political reasons single him out and and abuse you know the 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 system of justice to make a political point not only against him but against a sitting president of the United States and this is the this is the travesty this is the risk this is why every American should sit up and take uh, take notice well because Scott uh... therefore for the grace of God goes every one of us Scott, if it's any satisfaction, you really changed my view of this whole case. Well, uh, that gives me some some sense. Look, I think I think this is going to play out. Look, we don't know. I mean, I think you and I both both started by, by acknowledging right up front. There's a lot we don't know. Um, you know, we don't know the contents of the phone conversation. We don't know all of the so-called exculpatory information that's still being released uh, about Mike Flynn. Um, you know, and and we don't know the nature of the plea agreement. We don't know the details of uh, his relationship with Turkey. There's a lot we don't know, but the fact look, William Barr is a very smart man. You may not agree with his politics. You may think he's shilling for Donald Trump, but he's a very smart legal mind. Uh, this is a man who not you know isn't just this time the attorney. He's been attorney general previously. He knows how the game is played. And for him to go out and push for the dismissal of Mike Flynn's uh, case, um, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. There is sound legal reasoning by a man who is more appraised of the facts than you and I are. And I think as this thing plays out, we're going to find out you know, the true depth of um, the, the, the railroading that took place uh, with Michael Flynn. Because if it, if it, if it wasn't, if it isn't what, what I believe it is, if it turns out that a uh, bar is just covering up for Flynn. Uh, there will be repercussions for that. But William Barr is smart enough not allow himself to fall into a trap, you know, a trap of his own making. Well, um, I, I I think so. he's a really sneaky bastard. <laughs> well, sneaky but... but smart. I mean, you know, a lot of sneaky bastards are, are, are quite smart. And on something of this with this profile, uh, the inevitability of congressional uh, hearings, um, and we have a very seasoned judge that is going to sit uh, you know, and, 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 and over this, this case. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Barr is trying to slip one in. I think that uh, he knows a lot more than we do, and I don't believe that Barr would go forward on such a high-profile matter uh, where he still has to explain it to a judge um, unless he had all the facts on his side. So I'm comfortable with my analysis of the known data. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and Scott, I want to I want to turn this uh, slightly in a kind of lateral manner, and uh, just reference a, 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 it was called News Analysis, published in the New York Times on Sunday, under the byline of Mark Mazzetti, and Mazzetti was one of a team of reporters who heavily promoted the whole RussiaGate narrative. And uh, they used anonymous sources, uh, these uh, calculated leaks. They uh, lowered journalistic standards to cite materials that somebody had read to them over the phone. And they're now circling the wagons. And they're using the Flynn case here. Uh, Let me just read this quote. In his decisions and public comments over the past year, Mr. Barr has built an alternate narrative to the one that Mr. Mueller laid out in his voluminous report, where the special counsel focused on Russia's expansive effort to interfere in the 2016 election. 
the Trump campaign's openness to it, and the president's determination to impede the inquiry. Barr has focused instead on the investigators. Now, I believe that this is a very defensive argument from the New York Times and authorized、uh, all the way up to the top editors, and they are、uh, trying to defend using Mueller、uh, their own. Uh, <laughs> uh, Uh, toxic coverage of the the so-called RussiaGate story, and、uh, it is beginning to unravel、uh, unravel in significant ways. We have the closed door Intelligence Committee House Intelligence Committee、uh, testimony that has surfaced recently, and、uh, yesterday Ray McGovern detailed it at Consortium News that that's on、uh, May eleventh. And Aaron Maté,、uh, a younger reporter who you and I both respect,、uh, has done a great 14-minute video piece using、uh, quotes from Sean Henry. Henry was a former FBI director who was promoted by Mueller to run their cybersecurity unit. And when Mueller、uh, finally retired after 12 years, he was only supposed to serve 10.、Uh, Sean Henry went to CrowdStrike. And son of a gun, CrowdStrike is the company hired by the DNC to、uh, make the claim that Russia hacked their servers and gave that to WikiLeaks. And in this new testimony, Sean Henry,、uh, in a very careful way, admits that they never established with evidence that a Russia hacked DNC servers, or b that they transferred the fruits of that hacking to WikiLeaks. Now, despite Julian Assange's flat denial that no sta- state actors were involved in his、uh, re- reception receiving of the、uh, files from the DNC, Mueller never saw fit to investigate、uh, Julian Assange, Bill Binney,、uh, and others, including、uh, Craig Murray.、Uh, he might have had issues、uh, getting to Murray. But they didn't even try to interview Murray, the former British ambassador, who flatly says that he picked up the hacked information on a, a small drive at American University in、uh, the summer of 2016. So、uh, this whole ball of wax is melting, and、uh, Trump calls it Obamagate and refuses to detail his own narrative.、Uh, but、uh, I I think that we're going to see. Uh, a real meltdown of this、uh, again ball of wax, and it is going to further empower Trump in attacking the media as fake news. It is going to undermine、uh, the Democrats and their whole investment in the narrative. Now, the one part of the Mueller report that I embrace is that Trump did attempt to obstruct justice, but he was. <laughs> I don't believe that the underlying issues that he tried to obstruct were、uh, factual at all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, again, we—I'm sure、uh, a sound prosecutorial mind、um, will be able to assemble a, a prima facie case of obstruction on the part of Trump,、uh, but you, not obstruction of justice, obstruction of process. See, justice implies that there's actually a. A legitimate predicate for,、uh, okay. for the investigation. All right,、um, I, I accept what, what that. Trump, what Trump was ob-、uh, obstructing was unfounded allegation. I mean, for, from Trump's perspective, and I'm not defending Trump.、Um, I'm just noting that you know 
Trump would know if he colluded with the Russians and was trying to keep it secret. And if that was the case, then anything he did to interfere with an investigation would be obstruction. But Trump also knows that he didn't do anything, that there is no collusion, that this is a, from his perspective, a political hit job uh, coming out to try and delegitimize his presidency, and he's not going to play ball. He's not going to go along with a process that's stacked against him that will generate reports that will be leaked to a press that will spin it in headlines that make him look bad. So I think he was obstructing process, not obstructing justice. Um, and again, I, I don't want to come off as defending Trump. I'm, I'm attacking um, abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be seen as, you know, somebody saying, uh, Donald Trump's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Far from it. Uh, but he won an election. And uh, we got to live with the consequences of that. And there are ways to uh, to obstruct a president that are legitimate. Uh, you know, the Congress through legislative processes can tie his hands if they don't agree with his policies. Think, uh, you and I can uh, can write op eds uh, that that are critical of of him. I can get on your show and speak critically of the president. Um, that that this is all legitimate ways of doing this. But to have a cabal of Obama administration national security officials um, stay in touch with their allies that are, are planted in the intelligence uh, service, in the FBI, in the Department of Justice, the deep to state? manufacture a case <laughs> against Trump, that's, that's problematic. Yeah. And, and Scott, uh, in the interest of time, uh, I just want to reference as well that we now have uh, some pretty uh, legitimate evidence that comes from FBI documents showing that the meddling in our election by uh, international or non-Americans was by the state of Israel. And I've long argued that we had an overt, obvious effort by Netanyahu, who came to APAC in uh, the spring of 2016, uh, Obama didn't invite him to address Congress, but uh, John Boehner, the Republican speaker, did and gave him a platform where he made it clear that he favored Trump over Hillary. Uh, then there was uh, the almost state visit where Netanyahu returned the favor, invited Trump to Israel in July of 2016. And these uh, FBI documents show that Roger Stone who was not on the payroll but was clearly involved in the Trump campaign, had nine different contacts that we know about. There may have been more with the uh, minister without portfolio of the Netanyahu cabinet. And there are discussions about dropping intelligence that could uh, uh, help defeat Hillary. There's discussion of meetings uh, with the minister and Roger Stone. And he said the next day he was going to meet with DJT. Uh, and so this is highly credible information. And what's fascinating, and I want to credit Allison Weir uh, for reporting on this, is that the documents were made public because of a lawsuit brought by the New York <laughs> Times, Washington Post, CNN, Politico, and the Associated Press. And the only thing that this story is all over the Israeli uh, newspapers and television media. You can Google Roger Stone, FBI, uh, Israel, and all that stuff comes up, and not a single reference to coverage of these damaging issues in the mainstream American media. There's one blurb in Politico, uh, but Mondo Weiss uh, broke the story on April 30th, 
<laughs> and even the alleged、uh, independent media、uh, have so far、uh, been unwilling to touch it. And I think that this, you know, is a kind of parallel scheme. I don't know that Israel、uh, had any role in hacking,、uh, but they did, you know, promise damaging. They didn't call it dirt either, <laughs>、uh, damaging intel、uh, to the Trump campaign, and this goes completely ignored by the very media that are continuing to try to defend their failed coverage of Russia Gate. No, it's、uh, it's 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 an important story, and it's one that needs to be. Uh, investigated. Now, I'll, again, there's some interesting.、Uh, you know, when I was reading the story, there's, there's, you know, talk about an October surprise、uh, by, you know, by the Israelis. If you're going to pull an October surprise, and I believe that's right about the time that the Podesta email started being.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, some some interesting,、um, you know, tangential stories have come up over over the time.、Um, one about、uh, certain NSA tools being.、Um, Uh, found uh, identified that allow、um, hackers to cover their tracks, sure,、um, and 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 create the impression that something took place、uh, by another person than their own. These tools that the NSA uses are jointly developed with a unit called eighty two hundred. That's the Israeli SIGINT unit.、Yep. Um, I worked closely with them back in the nineties. Very capable、um, professionals. Uh, who engage、uh, repeatedly in dirty tricks?、Um, you know, their job isn't just to collect intelligence. Their job is to shape,、um, um, you know, do political uh, intelligence, uh, psychological operations by shaping perceptions using uh, cyber uh, capabilities. One of the things that they're very good at doing is、uh, making Palestinians look as if they're surfing porn pages,、um, you know, or, or doing things that are untoward. Uh, to to discredit them、uh, within the ranks of the、uh, of the PLO,、um, is it possible that 8200 was behind you know the release of information?、Um, we don't know, but it is something that should be investigated. There there's a harder linkage between Israel and the political interference in the 2016 election. Uh, than there is with Russia in the interference of 2016 election. Well, and, and, and let me just let me just cite one red flag that、uh, in the same time frame that Mike Flynn took the phone call from Kislyak, Jared Kushner was contacted from friends in Israel, and they were asking if there was any way that they could prevent the Obama UN uh, uh, ambassador from going neutral. Uh, you know, all through the Obama administration,、uh, they supported every Israeli effort to stop、uh, sanctions or criticism of expansion of settlements and other moves. But in the last days, Obama apparently gave the green light to just abstain from a critical vote that Israel cared about at the UN Security Council, and there was a feverish outreach、uh, to the you know, and and at that point,、uh, Jared Kushner was just known as the president's son-in-law who'd been had some role on the campaign, but he had no official role in the in the government, and、uh, that back channel. Was、uh, you know something that is known, and and so this this friendliness with the Netanyahu administration、uh, is something that I think deserves much greater scrutiny. And once again, you're not going to find it from the mainstream media organs in the United States. No, and we do know that Donald Trump actually reacted. Trump made some public、uh, 
you know, public statements about the, you know, a Trump administration won't allow this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, <laughs> Logan Act violation, uh, <laughs> except he was president elect. Um, no, look, no one, no one talks about the, 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 the level of uh, Israeli um, interference in the American political process. Uh, no one wants to talk about uh, the money that's spent by APAC um, influencing Congress. I'll give you a little anecdote. Back when I was um, lobbying Congress to slow the, the horses on uh, the race to war with Iraq, I would travel from uh, senator's office to senator's office uh, to, to give briefings to the senator and his and their respective staffs. Um, I was tailed by an APAC team of um, high-profile people, two of whom later on were uh, were in, um, investigated for spying on behalf of Israel, passing classified information on. Um, but the, these guys would tail me, and they made no secret of it. They would just follow me, and when I left, they'd go in to undo the damage. And, they, you know, that was their job, was to was to spin it, but you know, well, that, and we, we need to, of, uh, we need to be very uh, clear too that it's bipartisan. Uh, well, it's bipartisan. It, every and democratic, like yeah. everybody. Yeah, it yeah. it is it is stunning, and uh, you know they they have outsized power in the United States, and it, it leads to many of these problems. And they will target. They will target you if you don't. If you're if you're an elected official, and you don't, um, you know, play their game. Uh, they will have you. Um, uh, uh, I'm missing the electoral term. Uh, primaried. Oh yes. <laughs> so yes. If you think you're, if you think you're, you're skating towards a, uh, towards re-election, uh, they will have you primaried. They will throw hundreds of thousands of dollars to manufacture a candidate to bankrupt you um, in the primary, so that you lose in the, you know, in in in, in the big election. So Indeed. this is their standard tactic, and they brag about it. They talk about it. The, Benjamin Netanyahu has bragged about uh, the, 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 the money that they spend, that he owns Congress. Uh, but the media won't talk about this because that's, quote-unquote, anti-Semitic. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're attacking the poor state of Israel. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the greatest, uh, you know, unspoken of <laughs> facts in American politics is well, that and, and I'll, Congress I'll... is bought and paid for by the state of Israel. I'll make the point, Scott, that uh, I am permitted to boycott the state of North Carolina over their issues with, uh, you know, unisex bathrooms. But right. I am not permitted to uh, participate in the BDS movement, boycott, divestment and sanctions against the state of Israel for its policies. And uh, we've seen at the state and congressional level these really onerous measures passed that that just directly conflict with the First Amendment. And members of both parties just get up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine, because Israel is special. Uh, Scott, let me let me stop that discussion there in the interest of time. But I, I have an email from uh, one of my loyal listeners in Switzerland. His name is Olivier de Mirlo. And he writes, uh, hi, Peter, Ritter published his articles on the NCMI, uh, that is the uh, – uh, you explain it, Scott. I can't remember exactly what the letters the stand National, for. The National Center for Medical Intelligence. Right. Uh, on April 9th, the following information gets leaked and subsequently denied. Intelligence report warned of coronavirus cases as early as November. Sources. And uh, he goes on, which basically puts the blame away from the spooks. But note the date, end of November. 
It is suggested that the NCMI discovered that the disease was already, quote, out of control, specifically in Wuhan, by the end of November. The implication is spooks good, Chinese bad, U.S. administration bad. Uh, number one, has any of your reporting advanced on the NCMI? And what's your reaction to Olivier's comment? Well, first of all, we'll start with that, that report. I believe that was leaked to ABC News. Um, the, 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 the ABC News has retracted that, that story and has admitted that they got the dates wrong, that uh, the report they're talking about wasn't in November, it was in January. Um, and and, and it, it's easily debunked. The first thing I would note is that um, you can't have a coronavirus pandemic in November if, um, it, if COVID-19 wasn't typed until January 6th. Uh, you know, so we didn't even know it was a, a you know a coronavirus um, or, or a unique uh, coronavirus until January sixth. So you can't have a COVID nineteen outbreak in uh, in November, um, and there wasn't one. The Chinese speak of you know the the, the first um, you know incidents of concern taking place in December, late December. They later, through their investigation, have uh, said that this means that. You know their their initial infections took place in November, and then they they've gone back and genetically um, um, dissected the virus, and they they found something they call a branch. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, but it's something a branch that shows that it was uh, in the wild as early as October. Um, there's reason to believe that it was it might have been in the wild even prior to that. We're now finding in the United States evidence of COVID uh, nineteen infections uh taking place in december um so you know it was it was global before it became a problem in uh in china there you know there's a lot of information that's still being collected about the roots of uh of covid 19 but one thing that i will say is there is a concerted effort on the part of the trump administration to shift blame away from its fumbling of uh, of its handling of the pandemic mm-hmm. and uh and, and push it onto the shoulders of China claiming that this was uh you know something that was originated in a Chinese lab that there was bad security in the lab uh etc none of these have a factual predicate um we we don't have any evidence of bad security in the lab every scientist in the world says no this thing is a natural occurring virus it's not man made it wasn't made in a laboratory um, well, there there is one exception to that, Scott, and that is uh, Luc Montagnier. He is a French uh, scientist who uh, won the Nobel Prize for uh, tracing the origins of uh, HIV. And in a French television interview, uh, it is available on YouTube and uh, has subtitles for uh, non-French speakers. Uh, he says, look, I don't know where it came from. Uh, and I don't know any <clears throat> any motivation behind it, he said. But I looked at the RNA, and there is a small strain of HIV in the uh, the, the genetic. Uh, I, this is where I hit my limits, but in the genetic code, and uh, so he is saying that this possibly was an attempt at a vaccine uh, aimed at HIV. And so, to me, the lab, no lab question is still open. I do agree with you that, uh, you know, there's near unanimity uh, among the uh, vocal scientists that it was not a product of a lab. No, I'm familiar with the, with, with the, 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 the 
French uh, Nobel Prize winners uh, thing. I've watched it, and I've, I've and you know, I again, <laughs> I'm with you. If you read my resume, there isn't you know you know biological you know <laughs> forensic invest. It, it, no, so I give respect to anybody with his pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also been known in the past to to go down certain conspiracy routes that uh, yeah. that that some people find um, you know not not convincing. Um, yeah. I think that what he says should be investigated. I, I'm, I'm somebody who believes that every lead should be investigated. And if he is uh, ascertaining that there's an HIV uh, presence in, in a certain, you know, strain of the, uh, of the DNA or the RNA um, that, that could imply, um, you know, man-made intervention, this needs to be investigated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need, you know, we need to get to the bottom of this. Uh, and this is what, you know, the, National Center for Medical Intelligence should be doing. This is what the Center for Disease Control should be doing, is getting to the bottom of this, finding out. Because you can't talk about going forward. You know, it's, it's something that I've said from day one, whether it's about WMD or, or any problem. You can't talk about a solution to a problem if you don't properly define the problem. Otherwise, you're solving nothing. Yeah. And that seems to be the direction that we're headed with COVID-19 right now nationally. Um, you know, we're talking. You know, we're, we're talking about coming up with solutions. You know, um, lifting lockdown here, not lifting it there. But they, you know, they're solving a problem they can't define yet. We don't know what the origin is. We don't know, you know, a, a lot of things about this this strain. Um, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to find out from how it came about, and um, and o- only then will we be able to talk about how we're going to solve this problem, fix it, come up with the appropriate vaccines, come up with. Um, with medical, um, you know, remedies to, to that, that mitigate against the, uh, you know, against the, the disease itself, uh, mm-hmm. the, the antibody type treatments, et cetera. But, you know, you, you, it's difficult to speak of a vaccine or, or a antibody type remediation if you don't know what the problem is. Right. Well, Scott, and, and then we I, don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Scott, I want to thank you for your time today and a, a wide-ranging conversation all the way from Mike Flynn to COVID-19. <laughs> and in all of it, I really respect your uh, critical thinking and your willing to offer independent analysis. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this truly in-depth interview with Scott Ritter. Send your comments to Peter at PeterBCollins.com. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails.